uh, or if you got the My Custom Church app open, um, you will see that we have kind of two passages this morning um, that we've listed as our opening passages. I promised that I would finish a message that I started when we got everybody back in the building. And I did not lie. I will finish this message at some point, but it will not be today. We're going to continue it. We're just not going to finish it. Now, that ought to be a relief to you because I could finish it. But I will keep you here a while. So we're going to walk through part of it. And the message is kind of unique. By the way, last week I did the message a lot differently. I did more of a... um, uh, expository commentary on the book of Philippians. We finished up the book of Philippians last week, uh, and I did it differently. I just actually picked up the Bible and went through, and uh, I didn't do my notes like I normally do, and so that was kind of scary for me, and I will tell you that uh, I won't do it like that again for a while, because it just, it's just weird. when you, Even though you could be public speaking for years, and I have, and I, that part does not scare me one bit, um, and I've spoken in front of a thousands and in front of a few, and it doesn't really, uh, doesn't really affect me that way. Uh, but when you go outside of what you're used to doing, because there is a comfort in doing things a certain way. And we talked about God not changing. God is immutable uh, this past week. And I'm telling you, if you're missing out on Wednesday nights, you're missing out on Wednesday nights. Uh, there's a reason we do it. And uh, I will tell you that even for those of us that hurt the worst, it's still comforting. And there is a comfort that we get. Now, I will tell you, digital cannot replace being together. Just can't. Uh, I can tell you that I used to travel a lot. Before COVID hit, I traveled at least 50% of the time. And so it had been years since I spent an entire week in my own bed, and COVID changed that. Uh, But I can tell you, all the time that I was away, I would FaceTime Sal every night. It ain't the same. You know what I'm saying? It ain't the same as hearing her snore in person. It's just not. And so while we do things digitally, I do look forward to the day that we kind of are past all of that. But until then, we continue to do what we can. But we're going to look at two passages. So I want you to, we're going to read one verse in Acts that we've already read a few weeks ago. And then we're going to go to a passage found in 2 Corinthians. Now some, most theologians agree that Paul wrote more than two letters to the Corinthian church. These are the two that were saved and, and, and put into what we call the canon, right? The canon of Scripture. Uh, through all the councils, uh, like of Nicaea and all those different council meetings, God used the early church leaders uh, to help form what we have. And there was a rigorous process in which they chose uh, what letters or books would go into what we call the canon. Um, it's... Uh, it's uh, most people refer to it as literary criticism, something along that lines. Uh, but they were very critical of the letters because letters had surfaced and people would try to write uh, and change uh, God's word in such a way, and they would try to say that they would, you know, say that they were writing it as Paul or whatever. And so they had to sift through all that material, and make sure that they got the right ones and to make sure that it stood to the test. And so we, we are very assured today that what we hold as the Bible in our hands, we can hold that it is God's Word, and what is supposed to be in there is in there. And so while 
Paul likely wrote more than two letters to the church of Corinth. We have two that are saved uh, for us and, and included in the canon. Most likely this could have been his fourth letter is what most theologians say. Uh, but that doesn't change the text at all any. It just shows how much Paul cared for the churches. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and uh, the prayers. And so we talked about that a few weeks ago, what that really meant, and we walked through it. Uh, but today I want to walk through it a little differently because I want to walk through it in light of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. You see, a lot of times we talk about it and we make it sound so easy, but walking the life of a Christian can be very, very difficult and is very full of trials. Jesus warned there, there would be suffering. and We've talked about that many times. Um, but we need to talk about what, what does it look like in reality? What does practical Christian living look like? And how do we apply this? This is what the early church did. These four things. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. It's not the only four things. And there's, uh, we could expound on each one of those for days upon end. But I won't, which I'm sure you're thankful for. Um, but these four things are kind of almost like four categories, if you will. And so it's one thing to talk about these four things that the early church was doing. But how do we apply that to every day? How do we apply that huff to the most difficult of days? Because trust me, when you're having a good day, ain't nobody calling me up saying, Pastor, how do I walk through a good day? I don't know what I'm going to do. I ain't never had anybody say that. I've never had anybody call me and say, Pastor, things are going so good, I don't know how to walk through them. I've never had somebody call, Pastor, please pray for me. Put out a call list. Please put out a prayer request. My day is going so good, I just can't stand it. I ain't never had it. I got a kind of a saying I do at work where they call me up and say, how you doing, Huff? I said, man, I'm doing so good. If I was doing any better, I'd pee myself laughing. People do not know how to respond to that. So use that one one time. The person on the other end, there will be crickets. They will not know what to say. But it sure sounds a lot better than I'm doing all right. I'm getting by. It's another day, another day, another dollar, all that other stuff. But I just don't get calls and I don't get texts about things are just going so good. Would you have the church pray for me that I'd be able to handle it? Doesn't happen. What I do get is questions like, how do I make it through today when I feel like I don't even want it tomorrow? That's the, that's the tough stuff. How do I make it another day, Huff? when each minute seems like an eternity. There's nothing that can touch the pain, whether it be physical or in your heart. And how do I walk through that? That's kind of what we want to talk about today. Walking through valleys, the practical application of the early church devotions. They devoted themselves to these things, so how does that look like in the day of a normal believer. And today, I may or may not share a personal thing that happened. I, I've been back and forth on this, Sal, and I talked about it some yesterday, about one of the darkest times that I've walked through as a pastor. And felt like a failure as a pastor, as a father and a husband. Because it made me question a decision that I had made that changed and altered my family's life forever. 
And so I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-11. through 11, And then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And then we will give you what the Lord has laid on our heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but God who raised us from the, raise, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope, and He will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, this is your day, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, not because everything is perfect, not even because we just feel happy today, but we know that every day that comes to us is a day that you have granted. It's a day that you've ordained, whether it be a tough one, whether it be an easy one, this is a day that you've made. We will rejoice, not because it's easy. We will rejoice because we know that we do not walk it alone. That you, God of all creation, hold us in the hollow of your hand. Lord, the psalmist said that you bottle our tears. There's not one that falls from our face that you do not have. And Lord, we also know that your word says that you are near the brokenhearted. And Lord, there are some times that I think that you must be sitting right in my lap. Because sometimes I feel so brokenhearted. If that scripture is true, then you must be right there. God, I believe in your word that it is perfect. And if it says it, we know that we can count on it. So God, we ask you, Lord, for grace today, for wisdom, to be able to speak your word, and to be able to encourage those who are going through difficulties, whether it be relationships, whether it be finances, whether it be loss, whether it be spiritual or physical. Lord, we pray today that we can glean from your word that which you have laid on our heart this morning. God, we pray that our hearts will be open to receive it and receive it with gladness, knowing it comes from you. And we pray this in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago, we talked about the early church was thriving in conditions that I made a comment that were much worse than today. I've thought about that statement. 
the political things that were going on, I think, might have been more difficult than what we see today. But the simple fact is, is that every day has a difficulty. And who's to say that one time span of life is different than the other? Yes, they were doing despicable things to Christians. And while we may not be facing it in our country, there are other countries where indeed they do face the same exact treatment. And so we're living in a time where the world hates the gospel message just as it hated Jesus when he came. And that's not going to change. We shouldn't be surprised that the world wants to change even the word of God to fit their needs. I had someone send to me, I didn't ask for her, their permission to say who they were, but someone sent me something very unique and then also asked me how to defend it. And it was amazing that such things could be found right on Amazon.com. That people would be so bold as to take God's word and alter it to fit their agenda and then try to sell the world on goods that are false, pretentious, and are destined to drive them into the pits of hell if they continue to believe them. That's the world that we live in. But the simple fact is today is that the pain that maybe you're experiencing has nothing to do with persecution at all. It may have to do with physical issues, spiritual, mental, emotional, or all the above. Because the simple fact is, is you cannot walk through a difficult time with it not affecting your whole being anyway. I mean, you get stressed out. What happens when you get stressed? You can get sick. What happens when you're going through a difficult time when you're physically ill? What happens there, right? You can be drained emotionally and spiritually. So everything that we go through has an effect on our entire core being, regardless of what it is. And we want to take a look at that today, and we want to talk about a practical application for what the early church was doing and how they lived. What is it about this devotion to the apostles' teaching? Or we could say today, being that we have the Scripture, we could say being devoted to the reading and the studying of God's Word and hearing it preached in truth. That's what we could call that today. Being devoted to taking in God's Word, both in preaching, teaching, and personal reading and study. Devoted to fellowship. What do we gain out of that? How does that what does that look like in the darkest of times? Communion. And prayer. What does prayer look like and how can I pray effectively? Now, I'm not going to give you big exhaustive answers on all these, and I probably should take... Uh, I should probably take enough weeks to stretch it out and do each one individually, but I'm not going to do that today. I don't feel that's what God wants me to do, so we're going to kind of give it to you as a package deal. And then next week we'll finish up this page. I know what you're thinking. When are we ever going to get out of Acts chapter 2, verse 32? You keep talking about it. Well, we ain't getting out of it today. But I want us to look at the verses that I read, the second passage, the one found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-11, through I want us to truly take a look at that scripture, and I want to read it one more time, and I want, you to, I want you to just picture a day in Paul's life. You see, a lot of times when we look at the scriptures, 
I heard one theologian say one time, they said, when you take the four Gospels and you put it all together, it really still only paints a very small window of time in the life of our Savior. Right? Because, well, we know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels. Many of them tell the same stories just from a different perspective. It's like saying, you know, me, Chris, and Bobby watching an event, and they'll say, you know, Huff, what would you see? Well, this is what I saw because I was paying attention to the quarterback. Chris talked about what he saw because he was paying attention to the receivers. And, and, well, Bobby was watching the cheerleaders, so he didn't, you know, you don't know what happened. Because that's what people with mullets do. It's called the mullet perspective. Sorry, Bobby, I just couldn't help myself. I just, you got your mask on? Did you got it with you? Anyway, you should show, don't show that. Bobby coming in wearing this mask today that matches his haircut. That's all I'm going to say. But I, lo- I can make fun of him because I love him. Y'all got to prove that you love him before you can make fun of him. But it helps when I need a little bit of comedic relief, Bobby. Thank you. Bobby does that just for me, so I have something. I have a go-to thing. But I want you to think about, so, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's kind of what it is, right? It's everybody's telling their perspective. Matter of fact, Luke recorded the perspective of other people. And if you read the first verse and chapter, first and second verse, I believe, of Luke, you'll see that, that he's writing to tell them this course of events, and he had interviewed these people, and he, he writes that down, he records it. But if you, add, if you take all the Gospels and you look at the events that they, that, that they record of the life of Christ... Yes, we see, some, we see a little bit about his birth, right? And then next thing you know, after he's being dedicated in a temple, he's 12 years old. And then after being 12 years old, now suddenly he's 30 years old. You get the idea here, right? It talks about fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, but it talks about it in a few short sentences. Can you imagine how long that 40 days was? Now that's, what I kinda, that's the perspective I want you to understand and kind of get this morning when we look at the passage that we, that we read and that we will reread. I want you to understand that Paul, if you actually take 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and you read the verses that precede this, and we will a little bit later, you'll see Paul is talking about comfort, the comfort of God and comfort through suffering and comfort of sharing in our sufferings. And he talks about comfort, comfort, suffering, suffering, comfort, suffering, comfort, comfort, suffering. Comfort. Suffering. Comfort. Comfort, comfort. And you're like, dang on, that's a lot of comfort. But then Paul says this. After talking about all this comfort, he then gets to this. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Well, Huff, where are you going with this? Well, this is what I want you to understand. I don't know about you, but has the devil ever tried to lie to you when you read passages of Scripture and you see joy, comfort, comfort, right? And you see, you see James, count it all joy, my brethren, when you experience various trials. I want to smack James upside the head when I read that. Count it all joy, brethren. Now, James didn't say it would be all joy, did he? James didn't describe what those days would look like in the trial. James is telling you a, a, a way to look at it in hindsight. Count it all joy. 
The problem is that sometimes we walk through difficult days, but I don't know if the devil fights you with this, but if you ever read scriptures and, it, and it, you know, we're talking about, I need, to, I, I need to have a perspective that I've got the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen, just as he raised the dead, or just as he raised, he'll also raise the dead, right? I just look at all the things that the Bible tells us, and it's joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory, but some days I don't feel joyful. Then the devil comes and says, huh, you must not believe what you preach. Or maybe you're not a Christian. Because how come you're not smiling and giggling right now? How come you're not, <laughs> I get to go through a trial, yes! Woo! Devil ever done that to you? Has he ever tried to make you believe that you're not even saved? Because you don't feel it right now? Has the ever, devil ever tried to come to you and tell you that since you don't see the joy in this, since you don't feel peaceful, that you must not have Jesus at all? And if Jesus will not give you peace and joy in this moment in time, then maybe he's not worth serving at all because apparently you're missing out on something. Has anybody ever had the devil tell them that? You see, I believe it's for that reason that Paul wrote this passage. You see, it's one thing for him to talk about this joy. And you know what? I'm going to go off script here a second. Get out my handy-dandy Bible here. Hear that, Kevin? That's for Kevin. I want you to think about how many times you hear comfort in this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are completely comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. It's, hey, Paul's like, if we are afflicted, it's even for your comfort. I mean, listen, I don't know about you, and some days I read this, and I'm like, yes! Because I have gone through difficulties, and I have been able to share my testimony with people and encourage them. So they have, I have comforted people with my afflictions. But some days, some days I read this. And I just want to give a, I'm not feeling it. Now, maybe I'm the most despicable Christian in the, in the room. And maybe I need to be the last one on the pulpit this morning. But I'd be willing, willing to bet a dollar or a donut that some days you all do the same thing. Some days you read comfort, suffering, afflicted, joy, unspeakable, full of glory. I'm not feeling it. And I believe this is why right after all this comfort, joy, comfort, comfort stuff, Paul says, listen, but I want you to understand something. You see, a lot of times we talk about the testimony. But we neglect to listen to the pain. Sometimes we hear, we talk about somebody who's overcome something. But since we haven't experienced it, we just totally ignore the pain and suffering it took for that person to get to where they're at today. 
And maybe even where we're at today is still not on the mountaintop yet. We still might be in the valley. But I feel at least that, like, I'm not using a snorkel today. At least my nose is above the water line. Because yesterday, I don't know about you, but I needed a snorkel. Because my nose didn't even feel like it was above water. But I'm going to tell you, when you're in pain... It's a lot easier to understand this verse. Paul wanted to make sure, said, listen, yes, he shared about the comfort that we have and the comfort that we can give one another through our afflictions. And I do, listen, I do not want to discount that, and later on we'll highlight that. But before we get there, can we talk about the pain for a minute? Because that's the part a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of people forget. We forget to have empathy. We forget to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. We forget how much the comfort we are receiving costs. And sometimes, I believe Dietrich Bonhoeffer used the term cheap grace. Sometimes we preach Jesus like it was so easy to hang on the cross. Well, you know, Jesus, he hung on the cross in the tomb. Now he's 38 years rose so that you can be saved. And now just go do whatever you want. Life is good and rosies that your name is on the list and everything's going to be great. And so we preach cheap grace as if it doesn't take grace to deal with you <laughs> and to deal with me. As if what God is showing us in extending mercy to us somehow didn't cost very much at all. And you know, sometimes we even cheapen each other's testimonies. Now listen, this, this ain't even on the list. But when somebody comes and pours the heart out and says, I know what you're going through, a lot of times, yeah, but you don't understand. Yeah, but do you realize how much pain it costs that person to get to the place that they have now where they can at least be comforted? And they're willing to share that pain with you so that you may be comforted. And instead, you don't want to get better. You just want to wallow in your sorrow. Not taking into account how much pain that person's been through to get to where they're at so that they can share with you so that you may have joy today. Paul wanted to make sure that they understood that when he talked about comfort through his afflictions, he wanted to make sure they took a minute to understand what that looked like. And today I'm comforted I'm comforted through Paul's experience, not in the first couple verses, but I'm comforted when he talks about how rough his days were. Why? Because that's what I feel. And maybe that's what you feel today. Paul says this comfort and this joy does not come without a price. I don't want you to be unaware. Think about what he's saying. I don't want you to be unaware. Ignorant is what some translations use. I don't want you ignorant which means to be void of the information. I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be void of just how hard things were for me in Asia. He says here that we were so utterly burdened. You ever felt utterly burdened? I mean, that's, that's beyond I'm having a tough day. I was so utterly burdened. I mean, I think of Paul walking around like all... Oh, 
the valve, uh, you know what I'm saying? Things are great, count it all joy, brethren. Oh, life is just wonderful, fantastic. I've been whipped within an inch of my life, stoned and left for dead. Things are great! The devil says, how come you can't walk around like that, Huff? You must be wrong. You must not be as close to Jesus as you think. Because you're not giggling happy. Paul takes that argument away from Satan because he says, I don't want you to be unaware. In other words, let me give you Huff's version of that. It may be easy for me to say now that God is good, but there were days where I couldn't get good out of my mouth. I would say God is, and I was just so in utter despair that I wasn't sure good was a word I was about to use. Stephen Curtis Chapman talked about when his daughter was killed. A little eight-year-old girl was killed when his son, who was in college, did not see her, and she ran behind his car, and he backed over top of her and killed her. And Stephen Curtis Chapman talked about one night where he, where he sat, I think it was at the piano bench, if, he, if I remember correctly, and said he cried out to God and said, God, I will never sing another song for you, and I'll never write another song for you until I can get to the place where I say that you are good, but God, right now, I can't say it. Now, that's an honest man. But do you hear that pain in what Paul's saying here? I was so utterly burdened that I despaired of life itself. I recently had something brought up to me a couple weeks ago that brought pain back into my heart that flooded in like you've never known before because Sal and I went through one of the most devastating things and we went through it underneath your nose and you didn't see it. And I'm not saying this because I don't want you to feel bad at all. But sometimes we talk about the joy and the victory. Can I tell you about some of the toughest nights of my life? I've been openly and I've shared about my bout with fentanyl and how it almost wiped me out. But to be quite honest with you, fentanyl was a cakewalk compared to what really broke me and my wife's heart. A lot of people just see us living at the church and think that we just did that because it was easier for the ministry. What you don't know today, I didn't get rid of my house for this church. It was never about the church. See, my wife and I came to a crossroads about a school that we used to have. And we got to the place that either we could live like most of you do where she worked and I would work and continue to live in a house that we built, that we designed ourselves, That we put all the things we wanted into it except for that one chandelier in the kitchen that I talk about. That never did get fixed. I sometimes hope and pray it still ain't. But we made a hard decision because we had to decide that either we were going to continue with the school or we was going to have to shut the school down because I don't know too many people that could work for $5,000 a year. And we had two people who did just that. 
my wife and Mrs. Gundrum. Each year, when I first got here, the school was already in financial trouble, but my son was going to it at the time. You see, at one point, he hated public school, and most of you know he struggles with stuttering. School can be a very cruel place. And so my son was already attending here. I wasn't pastor. I was assistant pastor at another church. But we took this church because we felt that's what God wanted us to do, and the school was a point of contention from the moment we got here until the moment it was done. But we came to that place where we had to decide, what are we going to do? Do we believe in Christian education? Do we believe in what we're doing? Do we believe in the kids that we had there that had some, there was some, just some tough things going on? may not mean anything to you, but we did what we did for the school, not for heritage. And the darkest day of our life was when I stood here and I did the last message of the last graduation for the last time. Because three years after we made the decision to let our house go, so that we could stay in the, keep the school going. We shut it anyway. After all that, after all that, I could say only this to God for, for weeks. Was God really? Really? Wife's inheritance was bound up in that house. Now here's the thing. Anytime you hear me talk about the house, you hear me talk about the victory God gave me over having to have stuff. But I never told you how he did it. I never told you how bad it hurt. And nobody knew because everybody was relieved because we didn't have to hear about the school anymore. And the money that we lost, and the thousands that we gave away. But I lost my house. Her son hated the sport. He hated being here. And so that night when we got everybody out of the fellowship hall, my wife and I retreated to our camper. And all I could do was say, God, really? Really is this? And then to have people who didn't know the struggle, the people that didn't know the sacrifice that were outside of this church to actually question why we did it. Didn't have a choice. We gave it everything. And I didn't have a choice. But they weren't here and they don't know the devotion that we had to it. They don't know how many times we had to run interference. 
between the school and the church because people would get upset at this being broke or that being done or whatever. And I was left despairing of life itself. I didn't tell you that to make you feel bad. I told you that because maybe you have that going on in your life. That's where we were at several years ago. It's been probably, what, four or five years now. It took me a little while for God to finally show me that I didn't need that house. Sal and I wouldn't change it now. But if all I ever share is the victory that I got out of it, then you may walk today thinking that you are somehow a bad Christian or that somehow you are walking wrongly because you felt the way I did inside. Because honestly, I would get up Sunday after Sunday and I would hide it and I would choke it down and I wouldn't say nothing. You see, the simple fact is, is there wasn't anybody we could really tell. That was the one thing we really couldn't share with anybody because nobody felt the pain that we felt. And nobody knows how bad we wanted to quit at that point because I felt like a failure. And I will always be known as the pastor that closed the school. Or maybe what the devil tells me most of the time is I was the pastor that couldn't keep it open. And by the way, you know how bad it hurts when we hit COVID and now people are doing school the exact way we did it for years? And I'm like, God, we could have helped people, but they didn't want it. It took a pandemic to get the people to realize is that the only thing people didn't want to school was, didn't want to go to a Christian school was we didn't have sports programs. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. There may be a day in your life that you may wish that you never had that to begin with. Especially if those things take your child away from Christ. Now you get it? We don't want you unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were burdened beyond our strength and despaired of life itself. There's an old song written by Charles Tinley. The name of the song is Stand By Me. Charles Tenley was a, a revered pastor in Philadelphia. His church grew so big that they had to go to another building. He had organized benevolence ministries and even a home loan program for poor parishioners. He had done so much. He was also a big striking man, it says. At one point, he had to encourage members not to attend all the services. They had multiple services every Sunday, and he would have to encourage people not to try to attend more than one so that others may be able to come in and find a seat. But this is what it says. At the congregation's insistence, the church was renamed Tenley Temple. 
but in the wee hours of the Sunday morning that was appointed for its dedication, his wife Daisy suddenly and without warning died. And he was unable to even attend the opening of the very church that bore his name. Such a prominent ministry also invites attacks, criticisms, misunderstandings, and heavy burdens. Tenley once wrote, It was when I was overburdened with criticism, abuse, and hard and many oppositions, some of them from those whom I took to be my best friends. I wrote, Stand by me. Maybe you've never heard the song. But I love the first verse. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon a sea, thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the host of hell assail me and my strength begins to fail, thou who's never lost a battle, stand by me. It says, in the midst of faults and failures, Stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. And when I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When my life becomes a burden and I'm nearing chilly Jordan, O thou lily of the valley, stand by me. Psalms chapter 6. David said, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because all of my foes. You ever felt like that? We don't know exactly what Paul suffered. We know some of the things that he encountered in Ephesus. N.T. Wright says that Paul suffered enormously in ways that the book of Acts only hints at. He went through severe physical beating, almost certainly imprisonment. But this hypothesis seems at least a mirage, the closer we get, and quite possibly torture and deprivation of food or sleep. He was plunged into despair not to mention the steep decline in his relationship with the Corinthian church itself. So when you walk through the valleys, what do these devotions mean to us? These things that the early church held on to, they were devoted to these things. How does that look, what does that look like when I'm walking through this valley where I despair of life itself? How do we do this? First off, we've got to be devoted to God's Word. 
You see, I, I clung to some of those same verses that we all know and enjoy, right? That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That he would never leave me nor forsake me and be with me even to the end. That God would supply all my needs according to his rich and glory. But here's the thing, unless you believe that, it does nothing to comfort you. But honestly, those verses get so overly used that you can recite them over and over again and it brings little comfort, not because they're not true. It's because if that's all you know about the scriptures, then your valley and your time in it is going to be deep and long. You see, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. What he's writing him to tell him is like, listen, God's Word, God's Word, is, it's profitable. And we've got to go beyond those few key verses that every Christian uses and get in and actually read about how God walked in the midst of valleys with His people and what He did for them and how we can have the assurance that that same God will walk through with me and with you through those valleys. You see, it was God's Word that had to become a place of refuge for me and my wife. And we had to realize that, listen, that if men want to measure me as a failure because of what happened to the school, if men want to measure me as a failure because we don't have a certain amount of people, then men can do that. It's not them that I need to worry about. The Scripture is very clear that it is what God feels about me that is the most important thing. And it was when I was reading in Jeremiah that I found that He told Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, I knew you. You know what that means? That God had ordained Jeremiah's life before Jeremiah even ever was on the earth. Before Jeremiah's parents ever even looked at each other and thought, well... God knew Jeremiah before they were even thinking about having a family. And you know what? That brings me comfort. Why? Because God also knew me and He ordained my life. Because if you go on to read about Jeremiah, if you just stop there, you won't get the hint. But when you actually start to reading, He says to Jeremiah, listen, here's the things I want you to say, Jeremiah, and I'm going to hold you accountable for them. People aren't going to listen, and they're going to hate you for it. But listen, what you need to worry about is what I think of you, and do what I say. Listen, your obedience is what you need to be concerned with. The results are up to God. He says, Jeremiah, they're not going to listen, they're going to turn their face. Could you imagine being told that? Can you imagine that? Brother Kevin, I want you to know I'm ordaining you for the ministry. Now, people aren't going to listen to you, son. They're going to get mad. Matter of fact, they're going to try to kill you. Glad to have you. You imagine if I'd have preached that at ordination service? Welcome to the ministry. They're not going to listen. They're going to hate you, but you just got to do it anyway. Well, that's going to leave you feeling real great walking out with your Bible tucked under your arm. Get ready, world. Here I come. I mean, how many times would you sit there and think, why even say anything at this point? Huff, it's time to get up for church. They ain't going to listen anyway. God already told me. <laughs> they ain't going to pay nary a bit of attention. God already said it, so is it really a big deal if I don't speak it today? The Scripture says it's a very big deal. It's a very big deal because He said, I will hold you accountable, Jeremiah. And it was 
It was stories like that. Not stories, though. Sometimes we call them stories, but you know what they really are? They're historical events. Historical records of God moving in the life of his people. It's like God says, Huff, I love you. I know what happened. And later on, you'll get it. But until then, you're just going to have to trust me on it. Today, I wouldn't take that house back if you gave it to me. And now I don't regret what we did, even though it was one of the hardest things ever, and it just, it killed us. But there was a purpose for it. But man, I couldn't see it when I was walking through it. But I'll tell you what I can see. I can see the scriptures. And they can promise me and give me assurance that a person cannot. You can help me and you can encourage me. But knowing what God says about me is of ultimate importance. And so the scriptures, when we're walking through the valleys, we need to hold in high regard and we need to treasure them. And hide them in our heart, as the proverb says, so that we may not sin against God. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 77, verses 11 through 15. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples, you and with your redeemed, your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah means let it be. Because I want to remind you today that you cannot recall or remember something that you have never read or listened to. Are you with me? The beauty of Scripture is that you're able to recall it when you need it. And the Holy Spirit will help you with that. But you can't recall something you don't know. And if you're not careful, you'll recall maybe a portion of a passage that you, out of context that you heard somebody else say to the point that you might not even have it right anymore. Because the Bible never says he'll not give you more than you can handle. But yet people say that all the time. And what's interesting is I've had people try to comfort me with that very passage. And here I am in my sorrow telling them, do you realize that's not even in the Bible? That you got it completely wrong? You're going to have to come back with something better. If you want to come for me, at least make sure it's from here. I don't think they're my friend anymore, by the way. <laughs> but you know what's interesting about reading this book? I read that passage of Jeremiah many times, but I read it differently in my pain. Church, let's get real a minute. You may read a passage over and over, but your pain will change your perspective. When you're in pain and you're needing just a nugget to make it through the day, you'll be surprised how many nuggets you missed when you read this when everything was going great. You'll be surprised how many nuggets you missed when it's a nugget that you need. I just need a little something. You ever seen them people dig for gold and they get a speck? And I'm like, you did all that for that? Y'all know what I mean? You ever watch them, uh, them, them gold people, gold rush in Alaska or whatever? They're in there sucking dirt off the bottom of the ocean and digging all kinds of stuff and doing all this. And then they get a little old, tiny nugget. They're like, yes! I'm like, you're stupid. I'm not digging a hole 10 foot deep and 80 foot wide for a little nugget like that. 
Let me tell you something. When it's a nugget you need, you'll dig deep. You'll dig deep. And see, when you don't need the gold, you're just looking around, you might miss it. But when you really need it, oh, you're going to cover every square inch until you find what it is that you're looking for. Battery ran dead, and I forgot to plug it in, Randy. Sorry about that. Randy's got, he got plan two. Randy all got a backup. Think about that this morning. You see, what happens is when we're in the valley, this seems to be the last thing we want to turn to. Isn't it? But when that's all you got, that's all you need, by the way. The psalmist kept saying, remember, remember. By the way, can I, can I tell you this? Here's a little something that I, I thought of, and, and you can even quote me on this one. There's a lot of things I say that you probably should not quote ever. But let, me, let me have you quote this one. Intimacy with the scriptures is intimacy with, intimacy with Christ. Are you with me? Sometimes we're sitting there, oh, Jesus, I need you to help me. Jesus, Jesus, listen, Jesus is saying, help you. Pick up the book. It's right there. It's like your kid coming to you saying, I don't understand this math. And you go over and the math book is closed. Like they're expecting the answer to just jump out of the book at you. And by the way, it doesn't come out like this. Okay, I will get this math if I do this. Yes. I got it. By the way, for you kids that don't like math, you better grow up understanding math in everything you do. Everything. Heat and air conditioning, all math. Big Sean's a carpenter. How much math does he do? All the time. Right? Math. I don't know why a guy told me just to throw that in there, but... If you're bad at math, you're going to probably have it. Well, it's just going to be a rough world. Even English has got numbers on the pages. If we don't dig into words, you're not going to get any nuggets, and it's not going to jump out at you. Sometimes we sit there and we cry to Jesus. God, I need your help. I need your help. And the whole time he's like, listen, I can be found in 66 books, and everything that you need is right in here. What you're trying to do is take the lazy man way out. Open the book, read, study, and I promise you, your life will change. So when you're walking through the valley, this has got to go with you. Then what about fellowship? Now, I thought about fellowship. I could spend all day on fellowship. But I thought, let's go back to that passage that I read about the comfort. Can we go back to that a minute? Turn your Bibles back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort with which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. 
Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. There is comfort, sharing, comfort, suffering, comfort, suffering, sharing, comfort. I mean, it's just a lot of, if you just go by and, and start to underline suffering and comfort in there and sharing, you're going to have lines all over that passage. But do you get what fellowship is? It's sharing. Now, there are some times that the sharing that I needed and the fellowship I needed was found in my own family, specifically with my, my wife. By the way, even when we talk about marriage and we've shared with marriage matters and all this stuff, and I know some people say, well, you all made it, but you don't understand. No, I don't think you understand. A lot of people is like, you don't understand what I'm No, I do. I'll just be honest with you. I came home one time and my wife and kids' stuff was packed up and they were gone. That's how bad I was. That's what happened in my family. It was so bad that my wife had to leave the house with the kids and go away. And I didn't hear from her for a couple days. First night was nice because I didn't get no griping and complaining. There was no arguing. Next morning I woke up. I thought sure they'd come home late that night. Maybe they were over at my sister's hanging out or something like that. And they didn't come home the first night. Uh huh. Didn't come home the second night. Then finally, about the third day, it hit me. I think something's wrong. Maybe I have not evaluated my husbandly duties at this point. So when I talk about the love and how God has healed my marriage and how God has brought us to this beautiful place, I don't want you unaware, brothers, of the great affliction. And we were in utter despair. We've been there. Don't discount that somebody else's pain, because that's exactly what Paul's getting here, is that, that Paul says that we may be able to comfort you because of the affliction that we've been. In other words, I've seen God move in our lives because we were in such utter despair that we hated life itself, and God brought us through that. So now let's talk about what you're going through and let us share what God has done for us so that you may be encouraged and know that the same God we serve is the same God you serve, and if he did this for us, then he could do it for you. Amen? Revelation chapter 12 says that they overcame Satan by the power of their testimonies and the blood of the Lamb. Some people haven't chose Christ because they're not sure he works. And that's why you're to share what God has done in your life and how he's healed your life. You see, a lot of times when people are going through valleys, what do we do? We unplug. We let this gather dust, and then the second thing we do is what? We unplug. I just don't need to be around anybody right now. I just, I just, I just, don't, just, I just don't need to be around anybody. You don't understand. I'm just, I'm just going through something. I just got to be by myself. Well, I can tell you whose plan that is, and it's not Jesus' plan. I'm not saying that you don't need a moment to yourself every now and then. But when we walk through valleys and we're going through utter despair, sometimes the easiest thing to do is unplug because sometimes we just get to the point where I don't even want to hear encouragement anymore because that means I've got to put forth effort. And at this point, I just don't even want to pour, I don't want to put effort anymore. Am I speaking to anybody here? Y'all know this language?
But fellowship is designed by God. Yes, I'm talking about attending church, but so much more than that. So much more. You see, God's putting... I think about when, when Paul talked about Timothy, his son in the faith. That mentorship between young Timothy and older Paul. Older Paul had been through a lot of stuff, and Timothy is going to go through a lot of stuff. And so what a great match. Somebody who's been through something with somebody who's going to go through something. Amen? Maybe our prayer is that a God just get me out of this so I don't have to go through it anymore. Maybe we're better to pray, God, send somebody along that, that can help me see things in the right way because I'm having trouble seeing you in the right way. But Lord, I know there's somebody out here that's experienced what I've experienced. Lord, I pray that you just send somebody by my way that may understand what it is I go through, that I may be able to have someone that may help be able to speak into my life. Fellowship includes coming together in church. It includes mentorship. It includes communicating with your spouse. Amen? How many times you're going through something, your spouse said, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Do you realize that when it goes all the way back to the very beginning, God looked on, a, on Adam and said it was not good that Adam would be alone. That's not because Adam was too dumb to ask for directions. That's what the sitcoms want to tell you. That, right, the sitcoms always paint the wife as the smart one and the husband's always the bumbling fool. That's not marriage in God's design, by the way. But if I cannot express myself or communicate the pain that I'm in to the one I do life with, then why would I tell anybody else? Oh, come on, church, let's get real now. If I cannot share with my wife the pain that I'm in, why would I share it with you? God looked at Adam and said he would need someone to help him to come along and that these two would come together and be one. So when you try to do life without communicating with your spouse, it's like tying one foot and one hand together and not using them. Half of you is already crippled and you're ruining the other half. Fellowship includes congregating together in church. It includes mentorship, finding somebody who's stronger than you are by the way, we always find somebody that's not as strong as we are so that we can gripe and complain together. Like them guys on Hee Haw. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Ah, pass the jug. Find somebody that is stronger than you are that will challenge you to rise up in Jesus and put your boots on and lace some things up tight because we got a journey to get on and you got to get to stepping. Amen? time we get to step it includes church it includes mentorship and it includes whoever God's put in your life to share life with and do life together with I think that it would be disrespecting my wife if I would not share with her the pain that I'm in but yet share it with you instead amen I got an amen out of her that's pretty good eh? huh <laughs> There's a comfort from knowing that your brothers and sisters are with you, and that they pray for you, and that they care about you.
Number three was communion. Remember that? The breaking of the bread was really about communing, communion, taking communion, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 25, it says, For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? You endure. But what if you do good and suffer for it? You endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Of course, He's quoting Isaiah there, right? Though He stood before there and He opened not His mouth. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And with his stripes we are healed. Communion is important. I remember, I, I remember a time when somebody was going through, uh, well, they was, it was in hospice care, but they were still aware, and, and they asked if someone would come and do communion with them. And I remember that well, Dave and Mary had bought me this little communion set, this portable communion kit. I had never used it. I'm like, daggone, I get to use that thing. Oh, it was impressive, too. I opened up the kit and had all this stuff in there and the little wafers and all. Oh, it was awesome. But that's the first time I ever done communion with someone who's dying in bed and would die about a day and a half later. You see, in that moment in time, that person wanted to remember who they had served. You see, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And we should do it more often than what we have in the past, and that is something we're going to do different this year. Well, pastor, I mean, we, I got to wait until we do it at church? No. No, you feel the need for it. We can do it anytime you want. Even if a pastor is not available, what if you just take that time alone? And say, God, I'm going to take this in remembrance of your body. I don't care if all you got saltine crackers and a bottle of Gatorade. If you do it in reverence and in his name to remember what Christ has done for you, I promise you he'll bless you. Because when we're in remembrance of Christ's suffering, we remember that he was not above suffering. Because sometimes the devil asks you that. How come, if, God is, if God's so good, then how come he's letting you suffer? Well, the answer to that is, well, I'm no better than his son. If he allowed his son to suffer, you see, the devil will always ask you the wrong questions. Do you get what I'm saying? If you don't ask the right questions, you don't get the right answers. Instead of saying, why would, why would God let you, it would be more like, why wouldn't he, number one. Number two is, it'd be one thing if God spared his own son from suffering, but yet allowed us. But he didn't, did he? Remembrance of the suffering of Christ reminds us that he was not above suffering. Remembrance of Christ's suffering also reminds us that it was for my sin, that's what Peter reminds us here, that it was my sin that he bore. 
Remembrance of Christ's suffering also reminds me of the love that Christ has for me. It was love that kept him on the cross, not the nails. He could have called a legion of angels to come and get him down, but yet he chose to stay on the cross. It was not the nails that held him there. It was his love for you and I that kept him on the cross so that you and I could have victory in him. Amen. When we remember that, how can we not remember the love that drove him to that act? And remembrance of Christ's suffering also reminds me that my healing will come. Suffering is a temporary state because my victory includes a glorified body that will never feel pain or suffering again. Communion. It's important. And lastly, prayer. Now, I could say a lot about prayer, and I know what you're thinking. Please do not. I'm not going to tell you. Well, I'm just going to leave it at this. I'm going to give you two pointers on how to pray. And you have to do the rest of the research yourself. In Luke chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. Listen, if you want to ask, I'm a, if you want to know how to change your oil in a car, you ask who, what? A mechanic. If you want to know something about your HVAC system, ask somebody who does it for a living. Just don't ask me. I've got people stonewall thinking I know what I'm doing and I don't, so it's all good. Ask somebody else. Right? Bobby does it for a living. Ask Bobby. You're welcome, buddy. <laughs> Bobby's over here. No! I might have just thrown you under the bus, son. Sorry about that. So if you want to ask God how to pray, why don't you just ask him? Jesus was God in the flesh, and Jesus gave us one real good pointer about prayer that I think a lot of us overlook. In Luke 5, verses 15 through 16, it says, But now, even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We live in a world of noise, amen? Noise, noise, noise. Always something going on, always something happening. We live in a time of noise. If you truly want to have intimacy with God, get alone with Him. Now, I'm going to try to be nice and say this in a way that doesn't completely drive kids from the sanctuary anymore. But Sal and I want to have a nice romantic evening. I'm not inviting you. Amen? When Sal and I and the kids were little, we wanted to have a romantic evening. How, how's this for an emoji? We'd send the kids to stay with Mama and Papa. Y'all know what I'm saying? Huh? Well, you know what I'm saying. How you doing? I don't say, Sal, you, you want to have a romantic evening with me? Yeah, baby, I do. All right, Coley's, y'all come with us. Who else has got a buddy? All right, Dante, you and Steph, y'all come too. Chris, grab the kids and come on. We're all having a romantic evening now. First off, Sal would shoot me. 
and throw me out along the highway somewhere and drive the truck on to somewhere else. It's not by accident that Jesus went to a desolate place. Because if I want to be intimate with God, I've got to shut out the noise. I'm going to be quite honest with you. I need to shut out the radio. Some people can listen to music and pray. And all. I, I, I can't. I can't tell you how many hours that I've spent on the highway for my job in silence. Just talking to God, allowing Him to talk to me and meditating on Him. By the way, I keep my eyes open, just in case you all wonder. You can't pray with your eyes open. Other people on the highway love it when I pray with my eyes open. Because when I pray with my eyes closed while I'm driving down the highway, other people go into prayer, if you know what I'm saying. Get away. There's another thing you need to understand about prayer. You don't have to know what to say. Sometimes real good, honest prayer, I don't have the words for. Because some people say, I don't know what to say, Pastor. You ever know somebody really well, really intimately, and you can look at them and without saying a word at all? They can tell you a whole lot. I sang to my wife at our wedding. It was awesome. You want to score extra... Uh, groom points, sing to your wife at your wedding. It's amazing how you can speak right to my heart without saying a word. You can light up the dawn. Old Mr. Webster could never mm -hmm. what's being said, never define what's being said between your heart and mine. The smile on her face lets me know that she loves me or needs me. There's a truth in her eyes saying you'll never leave me, I hope. The touch of her hand says you'll catch me whenever I fall. You say it best when you say nothing at all. I do that part too when I'm driving. We know the scripture uses marriage to describe the relationship between us and Christ. Marriage on many different accounts is used to, to describe the beauty of the intimacy that we have with God. So it's not by accident that that beauty that we have as we grow deeper in our relationship where she finishes my sentences and I finish her. You ever say the same thing at the same time? Anybody else do that in your marriage? And you're like, that's just freaky. You do it all the time. But we can look at each other and just know. Or we can just sit in a room together and not have to talk. We thought something was wrong with us. I, Mary, I got to tell a story. I can't help it. I thought something was wrong with us. Because Sal asked the question. We were driving down the road and hadn't talked for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. 30 glorious minutes. Sal looked at me and she goes, are we running out of stuff to talk about? I mean, that's a valid question, is it not? It's a valid question. Or, 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 do we, do we, are we running out of stuff? I mean, when our kids are gone and, 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 and away from the house, are we just going to, are we going to even know each other? I mean, is, is this what's going on? Are we wrong somehow? Are we messed up? 
And we didn't even ask him. We were just talking to Dave and Mary, and Dave and Mary was really good about taking us in. The day that we found out that Sal had cancer, we ended up that night with Dave and Mary crying. Remember Dave praying? I think we had food or something. Dave prayed. I just remember the sound of his voice. But I remember we were just, they, did, they, they, knew, we were, they knew we were struggling and they just loved us and, and they told us the story. And I, I, they didn't know what they were doing at the time, but God was using that mentorship. And Dave says, you know, sometimes we'll just drive down the road and I'll just put my hand on her. She'll put her hand on mine or something like that. And we'll just drive and sometimes for an hour on our way to the cabin, we won't say nothing. We're just looking forward to go to the cabin. We don't need to say anything. We just know that we're going to have time together with no cell phones, none of that, and we just look forward to it, and we just drive. He said, but it's a peaceful, quiet, where we don't have to say anything. We, we just, we're just being together. Just being. I don't think I ever told him what that meant to us. I wish I had. I've shared that story more than once and I've had other people with that light go off. Sometimes we don't have to say something, just being in the presence. But you see, that's why getting alone with God is important. Because Paul tells us about this intimacy in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 25. It says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as, for, as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you get this picture here? I get along with God. Sometimes I do not know what to say especially when I'm hurt. That, the, those weeks and months after the school closed, I didn't know what to say to God many times. I would just sit in silence. My heart would cry out to him, and sometimes I would just start crying. Sometimes Sal and I would hold hands and just cry together and not even say nothing. I knew why she was upset. She knew why I was upset, and we were just together in it. And in my mind, I would just say, God, I, I don't have the words. Am I a complete failure? I know my wife's not a failure. I saw her work so hard and give. She gave more every day to that place than most people give for a job making 10 times that. I know it wasn't her fault. Was it mine? And I would just spend silent time with him. But I found now that that silent time with him is beautiful. Because I finally come to the place where I understand the scriptures where I don't need to say nothing. My quiet time with Sal is also priceless. We can get it. We got an old Genevieve when we took off. Only had her for a couple days and decided it's me, you, and Genevieve against the world, baby. We got Jesus with us, though. He's riding. He's driving. I'm just along for a ride. And we drove that thing for hours and hours, and sometimes we didn't say a word. Just driving that big old thing and just 
just basking in each other and in God's love. By the way, I wrote something down here. We know that God cannot make a mistake. By the way, Kevin's been covering the attributes of God. I'm telling you, if you missed it, you're missing it. But God cannot make a bad mistake or a bad decision. He can't mess up a plan. And so I wrote this. So it is with this conviction. In other words, my understanding that God can't make a mistake and his plans are never wrong. It's with this conviction that we must enter into prayer already knowing that God's plan is right. So instead of spending my time trying to convince God otherwise, I would rather bask in his presence. If we go into prayer convinced that God already has knowledge of everything he needs and his plan are perfect, instead of asking God to move me again, God, please take me out of this. Please move this. Please do that. Please, instead of spending and wasting my time trying to convince God that he who is perfect somehow got this one wrong, instead, God, how can I learn? What's my purpose? How, how do I move forward? We devote ourselves to the scripture. We devote ourselves to fellowship. Fellowship with God personally, fellowship with our family and spouse in a, in a manner that's pleasing to God, fellowship with our church and mentorship, brothers and sisters that are stronger than us, that can help us. We spend time in communion remembering the suffering of Christ. And we spend time alone with God. That, my friend, is how you walk through a valley. That is how you take what the early church was devoted to and use it in your everyday life. You're going to have days that you don't feel very good. You're going to have days that you don't feel strong. You're going to have days even where you feel like you're not even saved. But the scripture tells us otherwise. Because if we have confessed him as Lord, he is faithful and just. If we've repented, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. If we have truly committed our life to him and declared him as Lord of our life, then he who began a work in us will complete it. That's how we walk through a valley. Not every day is going to feel great. Quit letting the devil tell you that because you're having a bad day and because you don't feel like a Christian today that you're not. He is a liar and he is the father of all lies. Quit letting him tell you that you're wrong. Now do you see what Paul was saying? We're going to suffer together, and sometimes my suffering is going to benefit you because I'm going to be able to help you, and sometimes your suffering is going to benefit me because you're going to be able to help me. And we're going to do this together because God's called us to be a body. And we're going to walk. And we're going to move forward, and we're going to trust him. That even on those days that I don't feel saved, even on those days I feel like I'm a failure, I will claim to the word of God. And he says, before you were in the womb, I knew you, Huff. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. And I will finish what I started in you. You just keep putting one foot in front of another. And you keep doing that. And I'll be with you. Would you stand to your feet?